In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We read in chapter 13 of St. John, at the end of the chapter, or rather at the end of the Gospel, just before the Lord was going to suffer, there's a phrase that John uses to describe the Passover. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from, from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's how he introduces this chapter. He loved them to the end. And of course, that's how he introduces what he's going to do there in the Last Supper. He loved them to the end, meaning he loved them to the end by instituting the Eucharist, and of course, washing their feet, and then foretelling his betrayal, that one of them was going to betray him, and uh, giving them the new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is the context in which St. John explains the idea that he loved them. He loved him, them first already. He had already shown his love by his whole life, by his miracles and by his teaching. But now that love was going to be ratcheted up to the full. To the, what he says, to the end, to the end. And, well, in this key passage or in this key chapter that prepares for the death, the, the mocking, the suffering, the crucifixion, and eventually the resurrection, we have to understand what this love them to the end really means. It's really another word to explain the concept of unconditional love, to love them to the end. What does this really mean? Because, well, love is often a misused word. It's, it's in songs, all the, all the time used in songs, uh, in movies. Uh, we often hear about it at the level of romance, at the level of feelings. But we understand that when it says he loved them to the end, he wasn't suddenly going through a passionate, euphoric sense of love for the apostles. No doubt he had that, that is, the feelings, but it, to the end meant that it, it went well beyond that. And he gave himself, he was fully dedicated to serve them. But somewhere along the line, there was a deeper expression of that love that he already had, or if you could say, that affection that he no doubt had. He had affection for them. In other words, he had a feeling. It was much more. It was more in the realm of 
being an act of the will, which in turn would have led to deeper feelings. Perhaps you you remember that story of this uh, famous uh, author who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which was very popular in the 1990s, sold millions of copies by Stephen Covey. He passed away a few years ago, but uh, he he really had an important influence in, in terms of uh, relationship with others, that you should see the other as a kind of... Uh, bank account, like you want to get rich with the other, you have to deposit, make acts of deposit of kindness and warmth and generosity so that in the eyes of that person you will be like rich. It's like they're your bank account and if you say nice and kind and things and serve them, you could say you will be rich in that sense. But if you are not caring and you know, you're, you're, you're making withdrawals And he used a lot of imagery to suggest the importance of uh, human virtue and human quality. And he, and certainly he talked a lot about love as an act of the will. And he recounts the story of a man who came to his office and said, look, uh, look, uh, I was, I've been married so many years and uh, we fell in love many years ago. Uh, but well, now we've both been living, you know, in this marriage for X number of years now, and, uh, well, I just, we just no longer feel that love that we've originally had when we first got married. I don't feel love, it's gone, she doesn't feel love for me, and uh, so what do we do? It's gone, the, the feeling of love that we had uh, is just gone, it's just dead. And Stephen Covey said, well, then love her. Well, no, look, you don't understand. You see, the feeling of love just isn't there. It's just, it's just not there. And he said, okay, well then, love her. Yeah, but he said, well, like, if the feeling of love isn't there, uh, you know, I mean, it's not there. There's a good reason. It has to be a good reason to love her. Um, but he said, but how do you love? He said, well, how do you love when you don't love? This guy was identifying love purely with feelings. He said, my friend, love is a verb. It's a verb. The feeling is a fruit of love, is a fruit of that verb. It's an act. So love her, he said. Serve her. Sacrifice yourself for her. Listen to her. Empathize. Be patient. Affirm her. Are you willing to do all that? If you're not willing to do that, then, you, then you're not loving. But if you start to do that truly and uh, generously, well, the feelings will follow. So in other words, he distinguished between the will and something we do with our will and our heart and our mind and the product of that, which is our passion or our fire, our zeal, or if you like, our feeling. Pa passions and feelings are essentially the same basic thing. He was speaking to him about being proactive, actively seeking out what you want, rather than being a kind of reactive presence or passive, waiting for things to happen, waiting for the feelings of love to be conjured up again, almost as though 
you know, it was like a like a campfire that suddenly wells up because I don't know the wind uh, comes comes in there. And um, I mean, people sometimes speak about falling in love. They just like boom, they just fall in love, right? But uh, that probably refers more to the question of romance and feeling it. Mm -hmm. Because if you can, imagine, if you can fall in love, well, you must be able to fall out of love just as easily. To fall out. And when you think about it that way, it seems like love, that is just in terms of falling in love, just like that man who had that feeling of love, it's, it's as though love becomes a self-driving vehicle that may or may not stay on the road. I don't have much confidence in self-driving driving vehicles, right? I drive and I need to be in control so that if I get into the right lane, I can speed up or, or slow down. Self-driving cars don't give me much security. And I need to speed up when I need to speed up. So, in the presence of God now, we want to see if there's an element of passivity in my interior life, in my relationship with God, and for that matter, my relationship with others, family, friends, do I actively love them? Is there an active engagement of my will there? In other words, we have to decide to love God, to love the Lord Jesus Christ, to love our Blessed Mother unconditionally. This idea of no conditions. And others too. As an expression of the gift of ourselves. Not simply as an expression of the feelings that we might have. This would be to love others there would be not having nice feelings for others, whoever they may be, but really would be to positively will the entire good of the other. That's when we love the others. To positively love the good of the other. Not just the emotional ties we might get with others, which in and of themselves could be there, but uh, they're not the essence of what love is. To, to, to will the good of the other. And that, of course, includes their, their health and their physical well-being, but, uh, but also, also their soul, their, their closeness to God. And, of course, when uh, Stephen Covey speaks about this, he says, so love her, serve her, sacrifice Listen to her, empathize, appreciate, affirm her. Are you willing to do that? Like He lists there a lot of things that we can proactively do when we love others, when we love God. So that we, it can be said that our love is unconditional. If we sacrifice, if we listen, if we empathize. And especially that word sacrifice. Sacrifice. And uh, what exactly is sacrifice. What is it? Do we even understand what we mean when we say sacrifice? Can there actually be any love without sacrifice? Imagine if the guy said, well, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to serve her more, I'll try to do, I'll try to empathize more, I'll appreciate her more. But if he were to say, yeah, but I'm not going to sacrifice, 
that, that, that marriage would fall apart if he wasn't ready to sacrifice, to forego his own interests or things. In fact, in all religions, through all time, sacrifice has always been a core feature of all religions. I don't know of any religions that don't have that. And in all, they all have a reason why you offer sacrifices. At least they have, it's all been, you know, St. Thomas talks about the traditional four reasons for sacrifice. The, the first reason is that it is an expression of adoration through sacrifice. You know, the Jews would do that. Uh, uh, the, you know, ancient religions would do that. The Jews would uh, sacrifice animals as an expression of, okay, I'm not going to use this. I give it all to you. It's an expression of adoration to God. It's also an expression or manifestation of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for making me, for creating me. And just like you could give a gift to somebody, you forego having that gift yourself, you give it up to somebody else, you give the gift of whatever it may be. All religions have thanksgiving in them somewhere. They acknowledge their dependence on God through sacrifice. And so they get, there's adoration, there's thanksgiving. Then the third principle is always, of course, expiation or, or to atone for sins. Because we realize we are sinful, that we have not always lived up to our our you know demands. That's the expiation principle or, or atonement principle to make right the sins that we have committed that we recognize. And of course, finally, the principle of petition. It's, it's a way by sacrificing, by offering a sacrifice. It's a way of asking things to God, asking Him things. And these four. Dimensions of sacrifice are certainly present in the Holy Sacrifice at the altar, in the Holy Mass. Every Mass there's adoration. Every Mass there's thanksgiving. Every Mass there's expiation. And every Mass there is a form of petition. We ask things. We, Lord, you know, help us here with COVID. We, or, or any number of other things that we ask. We ask for peace. We ask for salvation. We ask for, for grace. And so, if we live this sacrificial dimension of love in our life, especially in the way we are united to the Holy Eucharist, which expresses that so fully because it's in the Holy Eucharist that we see the sacrifice of Christ who gave himself on the cross renewed there in an unbloody manner, well, we have to be united to that. And, and somewhere there, our life can take on a more magnanimous uh, larger dimension if it can be in some way described as unconditional love. Unconditional. Maybe you've heard about this author from, I'm not sure where she's from, but she, well, she's from the States, but uh, I'm not exactly sure where, but um, her name is Martha Beck. And uh, she has uh, written a number of books uh, that She's described as an inspirational writer, coach, life coach. That's right. She's, she's about, actually from Texas. She has a ranch there. And she's developed a multi-million dollar industry of self-help programs, self-help books of different kinds. I don't really know the exact nature of those books, but I know she's been on Oprah. She's become very popular. And, uh, well, somebody asked me, you know, is, is she any good? 
is this just New Age stuff, or what is it? And uh, her recent book, uh, I just looked up briefly, her recent book called The Way of Integrity. And, uh, and then I found out that she wrote a biography, or rather an autobiography, called Expecting Adam. Expecting Adam, what, what is this about? And, uh, and she tells how when she was uh, a grad student, uh, married, she was studying at Harvard, and she was with her husband. They were sort of fast-track, uh, studying at Harvard, and uh, in a sociology degree of some kind. And when suddenly all that sort of move to success was derailed when she became pregnant and saw that she was pregnant with a Down syndrome son. And she recounts in this book that she is pressured on all sides, of course, by professors, by colleagues, by doctors, and even her own husband to have an abortion because she's pregnant with a Down syndrome child. And in principle, she was pro-choice. Like she, that's what she was. But she doesn't know why she could not bring herself to do that, to have the abortion of a Down syndrome child, even though there was a lot of pressure. She said, I don't know. I, I mumbled to an, an aggressive obstetrician. Imagine getting an aggressive obstetrician who's demanding that you have the abortion. She says, I don't know. I guess I just can't reject him. This, she said, was a miserably inadequate statement. I just can't reject it. My real feeling, the one I couldn't articulate yet, was that my entire life hinged on knowing that there were people who would continue to love me unconditionally, even if I were damaged, even if I were sick. Such love was the only thing that had sustained me during the turmoil of the past months. If I eliminate my child because of his disability, if I put out my life, if I put him out of my life, I would be violating the only thing that, that was keeping me alive. I'd be ripping the rug, rug from under my feet, my own feet. She understood the demand for unconditional love that, that is, that somebody loved her. I mean, ultimately, that God loved her unconditionally, no matter what her qualities are, whether she's successful or not. And she felt the need to adapt that also to her, her Down syndrome son. And, um, and this is what she did. Of course, she ended up having the child, and he's growing up, and he's... Uh, this was a number of years ago, right? But... Uh, and she explains what really makes us whole and what helps us to understand the why of suffering, the why of worries, the why of anxiety uh, is, is when we begin to love unconditionally. Somewhere that unconditional love has to happen in my life. It has to happen. There has to be unconditional love. Not just love in terms of feelings. Not just love even, it's not even, you could some say, not even enough just to sacrifice. It has to be somewhere unconditional. Among my friends, among my families. 
even those we don't really know that well. And, you know, there may be today modes of entertainment that we have that kind of disconnect us a lot from others. People now are into the Netflix culture and, and the people hone in on their own things. And, right? and the, 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 it's as though the opportunities of self-gift and unconditional love seem to be it's almost as though they're shrinking. Everybody can live in their own little bubble. And We have to be there for others to support them. This is what our Lord did when He gave us the example of cleaning the feet of the apostles. I mean, they could have cleaned their own feet. They could have done it themselves. Maybe there could have been a basin there and they could have done it. Everybody, everybody wants to clean their feet and go over there on their own. There's a towel there. I just left a towel over there. You know? Uh, everybody take care of it. No, no, you see, he, he would, what's refinement? You know, he did that to them. I mean, that's uh, unconditional love. I heard uh, this story about a lady who was sitting at a funeral with a friend, and her friend had a daughter, a 16 year old daughter, who had a lot of problems and, and, and just couldn't take her. She was going through a big hard time, she just couldn't take it anymore, and she this. 16-year-old daughter eventually took her own life. Obviously, a horrifically painful moment for this mother who had lost her child. And she recounts how, how well, she called the funeral home and uh, she, she explained what had happened, that she had lost her daughter. And, uh, I don't know, somehow they never got back to her. Right? They never got back to her. They, presumably they said something, but they never got back. So, so, she decided, obviously, not to go to that funeral home since they weren't there for her. So the, the author recounts that we, we sat there with just quietness between us. And after a few minutes, she looked around the room and spoke words that I believe hold a message for the body of Christ. She said, you know, this isn't my church. This isn't where I planned to have the funeral. But when we called the church to tell them what had happened, they said they'd come to us, but they never did. If you are ever going to show up and be the church, that time was now. That time was this week for my family. Their silence spoke loudly to us. So we, we decided to do the funeral somewhere else. It was just too painful to be in a place where they obviously didn't care about us. Well, who knows why they didn't get back. Maybe somebody dropped the ball. Somebody, maybe somebody wrote a note, the number on, an, on a paper, and the paper f blew away in the wind and never got to the pastor. Who knows? Right? But, um, you know, affliction comes in many forms, and um, we don't wear our, our heart aches course as visibly as outward wounds but we know that there is pain out there especially now in this sin saturated world in this COVID saturated world and it's true people do need to know that they matter that their pain matters and that they are seen that we can support them and we can help them be strong in this right difficult time. That's by and large what the Incarnation is really 
uh, all about. Bridging all the distance between, between God and man. He, it's as though he moved into the neighborhood. He, he reached out and touched the leper. He, he looked the, and healed the, the eyes of, of the blind man. He, he restored Peter after he, he was overwhelmed by a sense of failure. He forgave him. And uh, he rushed in when there was a, you know, when there was pain instead of just recoiling. So that's what we have to do. We can see how we can live that unconditional love for those around us in imitation of Jesus who gave himself totally there. He loved them to the end. In some way, this has to be true also for us. Let's try to pray about this today since the Lord is here with us, how we too can love those around us to the end. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.